Hi, everybody. Welcome to Parks Podcast. My name is Austin Parkinson, and I'm joined by my good friend and the head coach at Mount St. Mary's, Maria Marcasano. Maria, appreciate you joining me. Coach B, thanks for having me. Yeah, so this has obviously been a bizarre time uh, for all of us with, you know, where we're at right now. Um, you know, my first question is just kind of curious, what have you been up to uh, with your players being at home? And uh, obviously, probably not, you know, at least at this point, been able to go back to the office. Uh, what's been your approach to things and, and what have you been doing uh, with, you, with your time? Yeah, not quite, back, uh, not quite yet back in the office. We actually did a um, Zoom, uh, I guess, update with our ticket holders and our alumni support last night, just kind of doing the same update with what we've been up to. Um, I think just like everyone else with our team, we've been trying to have Zoom meetings, connect on a one-on-one -on -one basis, um, keeping in touch. They just finished with finals last week. So um, just keeping them motivated, trying to keep them positive, looking for the future. I think the biggest question right now is, you know, are we going to get to have them back for, for July workouts? Um, looking more and more like we are, so I'm excited about that. It's not official yet, but you know, starting to plan for that and also starting to plan for if we don't get to have them back and what are some of the things we can do with our team to help make them, you know, better players over the summer, even if they're not on campus. And then, you know, as coaches, we've just, uh, you know, after the season, you know, we always go through that two week kind of decompression, getting back to being a normal human being. And um, after that, you know, we started watching a lot of clinics, doing a lot of reading, um, working out a lot. And unfortunately, watching a lot of TV, that's one thing that has gone up. I'm not a big TV person. Um, I've watched my fair share of Netflix this, this last 10 weeks. So, uh, but yeah, you know, just like everyone else, trying to stay positive, trying to stay motivated and, um, you know, improve in every way, you know, with the time that we have. So, you know, we're in the same boat. I, I think a lot of schools have no idea exactly what the plan of attack is going to look like. Uh, you know, probably similar to your players, the tweet went out June 1st, everybody's back, you know, NCA wise, but that doesn't necessarily mean um, that's going to be the same for each school. And, uh, you know, what's going to be your approach? I know you don't know the exacts of it, but what's going to be your approach knowing that, um, you know, this is going to look like, um, you know, it's not going to look like anything that we've seen before probably in any summer that you and I have been part of college basketball. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really crazy to think about. I'm actually on one of the committees um, with our university with doing some research and trying to, to plan all the phases um, back into, I guess, what you could call normalcy, even if, like you said, nothing is going to be normal this year. And there's just, if there's one thing we've learned, there's just so much to consider, um, you know, just from an athletic standpoint, you know, my, you know, areas I'm, I'm researching our, our recruiting visits, you know, are we allowed to have on campus overnights? You know, how, what are our rules? What are our regulations? Do we take temperatures? Do we have them fill out a survey, um, you know, off campus recruiting? Um, do we allow the kids to play pickup? There's just so many questions that go into it. Um, and like you said, nothing is going to be normal, at least from what we, we knew normal um, before. But I think just getting back on campus and, and being able to work out and train with our girls in any capacity is going to be uh, awesome. Again, fingers crossed that it gets to be in July, but if not this fall, um, our school has announced that we are starting on time. So we're looking forward to that and excited uh, just to get back to, you know, being on campus and being around the kids and, um, you know, getting back on the court more than anything. Yeah, I think a lot of our players, it's, they, they miss, you know, obviously they miss the basketball part, but I think they miss the connection piece with each other. And, uh, you know, being at home, uh, especially the upperclassmen, I think being antsy, 
to, to get back and, and you know, be with their friends, especially the group of seniors, you know, whoever your seniors are each year. Um, this is kind of their last rip. And I know they want to make, uh, you know, every, every opportunity uh, take advantage of. I want to go through your career and talk about, you know, kind of how you got to Mount St. Mary's. And I want to back it up to when you played, you played basketball for Butler. Um, but uh, within that, and I wanted you to touch on this, you played uh, softball um, a little bit your senior year, and then you went on and played professionally, uh, both for basketball and softball. Um, we're going to talk a lot about the basketball aspect, but I was curious about your softball experience. And is there anything that you did softball-wise that you took from that maybe uh, you've applied somehow or some form in your coaching? So yeah, backing it up to, to Butler to start the first part of your question. Uh, played four years of basketball um, at Butler and you know, going into my senior year, one of the, the players on the Butler softball team had gotten hurt and she played uh, the position that I played in high school. And um, we'd been on the All-State team together and, and the coach kind of approached me and said, um, well, actually, some of the girls approached me first and said, you know, would you be interested in, in, in playing with us after your basketball season's over? Um, and I eventually talked to the, to the head coach and then, you know, my head coach for basketball at the time. And, and they both were very willing to, to work with me to do that. And um, I had so much fun. It wasn't even a complete season. I had so much fun in those two months just playing, uh, you know, softball, being outside again. You know, I, there was no pressure on me. I hadn't trained in over three years, over four years almost. Um, so I just got to go out there and, and give it my all. And it took a second, but it came back to me, had a pretty, pretty successful uh, senior campaign on the softball diamond. Um, and then, yeah, actually, I played both overseas. Um, softball was actually the first thing I did overseas. My brother played uh, professional baseball over there, and um, I would always go see him. And, and the Italian national team coach actually saw me uh, working out with him, and um, she, she said, you got to come play softball here. And um, I had had some offers to play basketball overseas right out of college, but I was extremely burnt out at that point. And so once I got over there to play softball, I really got that itch and, and contacted those teams and said, are you still interested in, in me for basketball? And, and they were. And so it worked out that I got to do both overseas. Amazing experience. Um, you know, you asked, do I carry anything over um, from softball? I think the one thing that I learned with being a multiple sport athlete is, you know, sometimes a little bit of time away does, you know, um, increase your passion for the other thing. Um, you, you get away from it for a little bit and you're so excited to get back to it. And that's something that, you know, I always played two sports growing up, sometimes three sports um, that I always cherished that every time it was time for the next season to start, you know, there was that renewed passion, that renewed excitement. And I think that is one reason why, you know, as a college basketball coach, I always give my kids that first summer session off. There's some coaches that they keep them there all summer. And, and we usually just do the second session and I just think time away is extremely important, especially with how long our season is anymore. Um, you know, that, that is one, like you said, particular thing that I, I've taken from being a multiple sport athlete. And one thing that I do draw from my softball experience. Where'd you get to play overseas? Where was it? I was in Italy the whole time. You know, my dad being born and raised in Italy, that was where I wanted to be. Um, I did have some other basketball offers. Um, Germany, Belgium was probably my most lucrative offer. Um, but I was in, I was on the island of Sardinia most of the time. I also played right outside of uh, Rome, a small town called Viterbo, um, up near Milan. So I was all over Italy for the most part. So how's your Italian background influenced, uh, you know, your coaching? Uh, there are a lot of successful Italians in the coaching business. You know this. Uh, my wife is a loving, uh, fiery Italian background herself. And uh, just out of curiosity, 
you know, has that, that, that had any influence in your style? Uh, <laughs> I'm sure a lot of people would say yes. Obviously, um, you know, people know how Italians can get at times, but, um, you know, my dad is actually, obviously him being born and raised there, he's very calm, very laid back. So I don't, I can't honestly say that I got that from him, but, um, you know, I, I do draw on a lot of things that, you know, I learned over there from those coaches and those different styles that they play overseas. Um, you know, definitely, like I said, my kids would probably say there's a lot of Italian fire that comes out of me at times, but I'll never admit that. <laughs> so, uh, you know, you started your career um, at Urbana. And, uh, but I want to get into uh, when, when I actually had a chance to meet you. I want to talk about your days at Walsh. You got hired as the head coach at Walsh. And uh, many, many successful coaches uh, have come, you know, from Walsh University. Uh, Carl Smasco is the head coach of Florida Gulf Coast. And obviously, you took that program over. What was the state of the program like when you took it over? And, you know, kind of what was your, what was your plan of attack, you know, as you took over at Walsh, knowing, you know, it had been such a successful program? So when I got there, it was right when they had finished the transition from NAIA going into being a Division II program. Um, and the coach that had been there, she had had some success at the NAIA level, but then the previous three to four years, um, she had not had very much success. And, and more importantly, she had had a ton of turnover within the program. And there was just a lot of unhappy kids. So uh, when I took over at Walsh, my biggest thing was uh, we got to make basketball fun again for these kids, got to build a relationship with them. They all complained of not having a connection with their previous coach. Um, so when I walked into that situation, um, first of all, tons of support there, still very close with all those people, um, tons of resources in terms of, you know, administration is going to support you, the men's program is going to support you. So I stepped into a great situation and just started building relationships with those kids, starting try to make it fun again. Um, and then just, you know, developing the kids that, that were there. You know, a lot of times I think new coaches come in and say, you know, I want to get my own kids in here. And, and I didn't approach it like that. I, you know, whether there was talent there or not, and there was a little bit of a talent. I just wanted to develop those kids, believe in those kids, and then start adding pieces as I could. Um, and it became a good recipe for success. We, we, we made some um, quick turnarounds there with back-to-back 21 seasons and, and, and three quick years and um, had a lot of fun while I was at Walsh. What were some of at that point uh, at your career? And you've obviously, you know, now you're at Mount St. Mary's. You came and worked for, for me for a year. And we'll talk about that. But like at that point, what was, you know, I, I would say knowing you, you're more of an offensive uh, mind at that point. What was, uh, what were the things that influenced, you know, kind of what you guys did uh, on that side of the ball? You know, we wanted to play fast. And that's, like you said, that's something that has carried with me in all my programs. We wanted to play fast. We wanted to get up and down. And honestly, with the girls that I, I had inherited, um, it, bode, it, it, it boded well for that group. Um, you know, we really worked on skill development, um, you know, becoming more efficient. We like to shoot threes, so we spent a lot of time shooting. Um, you know, I, working with you, I know we struggled with sometimes having gym time, and there it was the exact opposite. So many rims, all kinds of gym time. So we spent just tons and tons of time getting shots up, uh, working on our fundamentals, um, I learned a lot from from Coach Young here. Uh, there, he's the men's coach, has almost 400 wins, um, or I think he did get 400 wins this year. And just watching how he runs his program, I learned so much from him. And you know, like you said, we 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 played fast, we became efficient, but we also didn't forget about defense. The one thing that we did well there, and we weren't very fundamentally sound on the defensive end at Walsh, but our kids were so scrappy and so competitive. And and like you know, a little bit of competitiveness goes a long way. 
you know, everybody talks about playing fast. Everybody wants to play fast. What, you know, what, what are some of the things that uh, you found as, as playing faster? Uh, you know, what were some of the, the hurdles or, or bumps in the road to get those kids to play at the speed that you wanted to, but also, you know, probably be in an efficient manner? That's a great, a great point, Austin, because I think a lot of people here play fast and they think just, you know, push it up and jack shots. And that's not exactly what we want to do. Exact opposite, actually. Um, You know, I think one of the bigger challenges is, you know, all the kids say they want to play fast, but they don't understand what kind of conditioning it takes to play fast. Um, But one of the challenges is, is just breaking that mentality that playing fast doesn't mean you know, kicking it ahead and jacking it on your your first opportunity. Um, So just really teaching, you know, spending a lot of time with film, with understanding that we're going to play fast, we're not going to let the defense relax, but that doesn't mean, uh, you know, the first wide open look um, is, is what's going up. And, and, and another thing that we, we spend a lot of time talking about in our programs is, you know, everyone's role. Um, I'm pretty much a green light coach, but at the same time, a green light with, with, what you're good at. So if you're not a good three point shooter or you are a good three point shooter, but not on the move, um, you know, we spend a lot of time talking about those roles. And so once we have a grasp of those roles and we buy into them, most importantly, um, we can play fast and, and get good, efficient shots up because we know we're taking the right ones. Yeah. I think having the right people take the right shots is key. And, you know, I'm always one that, uh, you know, I always tell kids, I'm not Bill Nye, the science guy. Like we're not going to get out in games and start experimenting on shot selection. And, and, you know, typically I think as a coach, your confidence comes from what you've seen in practice and people spending time on their craft. And, uh, the other thing I wanted to ask with you, and I was always impressed with this. Um, you know, I think young coach, I, I know I personally struggled with this, uh, when I was, you know, I still think I'm a young coach. I'm not getting you know uh, younger, but, uh, my first few years coaching that patience for bad shots that allowing kids to be able to play through it. And, uh, you know, I played for coach Katie and we had a, he had a quick hook. Uh, and so that was, it was tough for me. I always thought you did a really good job of that. You know, where did that come from? And, and did you ever feel yourself sometimes fighting, you know, wanting to comment because again, you're playing fast, you're trying to play up tempo, which means there's probably going to be some, you know, some bad shots from time to time. I think where it came from was, you know, early on in my coaching career, you know, like you mentioned, I started at Urbana, you know, we had very few kids, you know, six, seven healthy kids. And when you're that limited, you have no choice but to be patient. And so what I learned from that experience was uh, you got to believe in the kids. Um, You know, if they do make a mistake, especially if it's a missed shot, um, you know, stay positive with them. And I think moving forward in my career, that's why I've, I've stuck with shorter rotations. I don't play a very deep bench. Um, you know, I think you win with your best kids on the floor. And so, um, you know, play your best kids. If they miss a shot, give them confidence to keep shooting. As long as, it, again, we go back to those roles. As long as those shots are within uh, what their green light shots are, then I think you're going to have your best uh, possibility of winning games. Um, I, like I said, big believer in keeping the best players on the floor at all times. And like you said, it is hard to be patient. And I will say as the year goes on, my patience tends to wear uh, with those bad shots. And, and for two reasons. One, because games get more important towards the end of the year. And two, you feel like as a coach that the kids should know by then if that's a bad shot or if it's a good shot. Um, but I've, I've had to refocus with that the last couple of years. And as the season has gone on, really focus on trying to maintain that patience, even in crunch time um, in late February and March. 
there's a lot of different strategies in regards to playing a shorter bench or, or really going deep into it. You know, Gino, I mean, he's playing sometimes, I mean, you watch UConn, they're playing six, seven max. And so I want to ask you then uh, within that framework, um, obviously you're trying to create that competition in practice. Uh, as you said, you want your best players on the floor. You know, how do you keep uh, players, you know, that maybe don't get that same opportunity in games but clearly have a significant impact on the program. How do you keep them engaged and ready for when their opportunity may arise? I think that's one of our toughest roles as a coach, even whether you play a deep bench or not, you're always going to have kids that have such a huge impact on your program that maybe don't get the recognition uh, with playing time or even just when it comes to stats sometimes. Uh, but I just think, you know, the way we combat that is just, um, making sure we, we talk about the things that everybody is doing, whether it's, you know, they're loud on the bench or they're one of the best teammates or, um, you know, I, I think we struggle so much with kids, the kid that, you know, is constantly guarding the best defender but isn't getting any stats, so isn't getting any weekly recognition. Um, and so we as a staff have to make, um, you know, make a point of making sure everyone on our team knows how much that person means to us or how much they did for that game or how much they do for us as a team. Um, I think any, any more in this day and age that has become an even tougher task with social media. Um, you know, a kid scores 18 points and, and they're going to be all over Twitter, but maybe that kid is a streaky shooter, barely plays, just happened to get hot in one game. It's all this recognition on Twitter, but then there's a kid that, is constantly guarding the best player on the other team, shutting them down, getting those uh, loose balls, diving on the floor. They never get any recognition. And it's frustrating because you don't want the kids to focus on that. But at the end of the day, it's human nature. You know, they're seeing that stuff um, out in the public. They're not getting the same recognition as the kid. Everyone loves a three ball. The, the, the kid that's maybe hitting a couple threes here and there. Um, so it's something that we really focus on as a staff is making sure we're talking to the kids about how much they're appreciated in their roles, how much everyone means. Um, and that's something that you really have to really focus on daily. It's not just a every now and then thing, because if you forget about that aspect, it'll come back and bite you. This year, our team was uh, seven and one at the halfway point. We had a big conversation about, um, okay, we're seven and one. Now we're going to play the second half. We're going to play everybody again. And everybody's going to be telling you how great you are. Mom and dad are be patting you on the back. But you're also going to have those people that are saying, well, you know, so-and-so, maybe you're not getting enough shots or maybe you're not getting enough attempts. And, um, you know, still keeping that team mentality. And we really, I mean, we hammer that, you know, in the recruiting, we hammer it when they get here, uh, being for the team. But you mentioned something about the, the unsung heroes. And um, I got a kid on my team named uh, Caitlin O'Reilly. Uh, she plays like a Draymond Green type of role for us, but um, she's very capable being a, you know, 10 to 10, 12, 15 point, you know, game score. Um, but, but she's probably, um, you know, scores eight to 10 uh, a game, but I, I've joked, she's our MIP most important player. And she leads us in charges. Uh, she kind of creates an energy for our team. She's a toughness player. And, uh, you know, one, celebrating that aspect because it's so important. But two, I think, you know, the, the other players in the program recognizing that because, you know, that role can be valuable. And we just watched the documentary series with the Bulls and Dennis Rodman. I mean, the guy, you know, uh, doesn't, but at that point his career couldn't score, couldn't do much else, but rebounded like crazy. And at the end of the day, with all the crazy stuff that he did, his teammates loved him. And, uh, you know, other players seeing that I think is, is really important. 
Yeah, for sure. Draymond Green's another example. We talk about that a lot, um, you know, in our locker room, the teams like Golden State who made sacrifices. Um, they had so many guys on their team that could have put up 25, 30 a night, and they just sacrificed, um, you know, their own egos and succumbed to the hot hand on each night. And, you know, our team was very similar this year. We had so many kids that on any given night could could put up 20. And I think we had maybe nine different double-digit scores. And on three different games this year, we had six people in double digits. Um, and I was so proud of our team, the way they, they shared the ball and put the team first this year because we knew that that was going to be a challenge. We had a transfer that was becoming eligible. We had, you know, uh, an all-conference point guard that was returning. We had, um, you know, three or four starters that were ready to take that next step for, you know, in terms of their own personal goals. But everyone put their, their egos aside and, and really put the team first. And, Again, another one of those challenges, but if you have the girls that are willing to do that, then that's when you can have a special team. So for those that are listening and don't know, um, you know, uh, Maria ended up coming to work for me. Um, I was, I'd lost my associate head coach that had been with me for a long time. And uh, I got to know you really through recruiting and sitting next to each other in gyms and um, having discussions. And, uh, you know, I was always uh, really intrigued by our conversation. Um, you know, a lot of times you get a chance to connect with coaches when you're on the road, but, um, you know, I like the way you thought about the game and I thought you carried yourself the right way. And I just thought you had a really bright future. And um, so I approached you about, you know, being coming an associate head coach for me. Um, I'd shown you a couple of my staff members that had a chance to, you know, to grow. And, and then, you know, you ultimately made a really difficult decision. I know that was not an easy decision, but I think people would be interested to hear, you know, kind of your thought process as you were going through the weighing stay as a head coach and have the comfort of being, hey, like I'm the one that sets the schedule. I'm the one that's in charge. And now I'm going to work for somebody who, you know, I, hey, I enjoy, you know, spending short amounts of time, but okay, what's it going to be like? And the other part is you've not been an assistant. You know what I mean? You've been the head coach, uh, you know, almost everywhere you've been. Yeah, it was definitely a difficult decision. Um, and, you know, not only was it, um, you know, like you said, not the boss anymore, but it was also financial. It was a pretty significant pay cut. Um, you know, for me, the things that I weighed were, okay, take out of the, you know, your ego out of it. And, and is this going to help my career? And I've always said, I, I'm very, very interested and intrigued how other people win. I think everyone wins in different ways. I had proven myself um, to some extent to be able to win games at the college level. And I think I was most excited to learn from somebody who was very defensive oriented, um, you know, someone who had had success, um, you know, being from Indiana, obviously, you know, Bob Knight, Gene Katie were, you know, two, two guys that we all grew up learning from and you played from him, played for him. So um, for me, it was more about, you know, building my resume. Obviously <clears throat> I played division one, but I had not coached at the division one level at that point. And so that was a huge void that I wanted to fill on my resume. And, you know, looking back as hard as a decision as it was, I mean, it, it worked out perfectly. You know, I learned so much. We had an amazing year that year. I think about so many of those memories all the time. You know, you, you were doing those uh, interviews with Holly last week, and, and I just kept thinking back to some stories with her as a freshman. Um, she's grown so much, but it was a difficult decision. And I, and I just think that anybody else that's um, considering that option, you know, everyone's situation is different. And for me, I was single at the time. It was easy to make that move. Um, you know, not an easy decision, but it was easy for me to just pack up and, and come back to Indiana, um, work at IEPY, 
um, you know, learned so much from you, just the system and, you know, that conference, you know, the Summit League and, and you know, now you guys are in the Horizon League. But um, for me, it was definitely the right decision. Very glad it happened. And, um, you know, the rest is history, I guess. Well, one of the other things I wanted to ask about that, though, was, you know, going from the head coach uh, and sliding into the assistant role, um, you know, there's obviously a, a flip of the switch kind of frame of mind. And you go into that assistant role. Did that one year, even just being an assistant, give you any different perspective now that you went, obviously you're back to head coach. We'll get there and kind of talk through that, but has that helped you or improved or given you a different, you know, uh, you know, vantage point maybe, um, from, you know, always being the head coach and then sliding to that assistant spot for one year. Yeah, for sure. I, I think initially I thought that, um, you know, I thought I would be nicer to my assistant coaches moving forward because I had just been in that role, but it actually became the exact opposite. I think I became more demanding because I had just filled that role. Um, and, and, you know, I'm a little bit of a perfectionist. So in my mind, you know, if my assistants aren't doing something or I feel like they're slacking in my mind, I'm like, well, I was up at 6am with Alex Brown getting shots up or, you know, I did this, or, um, I know you can do this because I, you know, I just did this last year. And so, uh, it kind of had the reverse revolt. I, I, I reverse result. I thought I would be more lenient and more understanding, but I became, you know, more demanding and obviously in a better way. Um, it was a great experience for me to be on that side um, of, of the ball, I guess, it, for lack of a better way of saying it. But yeah, no, I definitely took my experiences and it definitely made me a better coach. Uh, but it was just a little bit the, the opposite of how I thought it would make me a better coach. Yeah, no, that's that's interesting. That's why I was curious about. Uh, for those listening, when Maria left, uh, again, she worked. Uh, when did you get there? I think you got there. Um, Beginning of September. Yeah, I mean, it was a little, little right bit. Right into the summer. Yeah. yeah. So uh, um, the ironic part about it, when she left, uh, a lot of our kids were really, you know, really, you know, uh, you know, heartbroken, but in the, in the mind, like they were obviously happy for, but the, you really connected. And I always thought that was, uh, you know, unique in, in, in such a short amount of time. That was one of my favorite years. Obviously we had a great year basketball wise, but, um, from a staff standpoint, you know, I think sometimes people, uh, that, you know, I feel like as a coach, uh, you know, we've never really grown up. I mean, you know, we, we don't, I don't have an office, you know, job of, of eight to five. And right. uh, the big part of it is, you know, to me, the memories are, the people you're around and, and, you know, when you're on the road and you obviously if you're going to be away from family is being around people that you enjoy. And uh, I know for me, like one of my favorite years was when I was a student assistant and, you know, getting to hang out with coach painter and coach Martin and those guys, not because of, you know, who they are, you know, coach painter at Purdue and Zoe, you know, they're just fun guys to be around. And, and I felt right. our staff, um, you know, had that, had that aspect of it. I did want to ask you because you talked a little bit about, uh, as, as you went on, what, what were some of the things maybe defensively, uh, and our approach that was something that, that, you know, you either, uh, liked or, or, or learned from, or, or, you know, maybe took with you. A couple of things. Uh, you know, I had always been, um, uh, you know, big advocate of switching. I think it, you know, watching the, the modern basketball, there's a lot of switching going on and, and that's not something that you were a big fan of at the time. Um, and so I kind of, you know, saw the advantages of keeping a man on a man, especially with, you know, our team and, you know, at IUPUI, which is very similar to the team I have now, when you have a couple undersized players, um, you've always had really good point guards, but they've never been, you know, tall, <laughs> for lack of a better word. Um, so just keeping a man on a man, seeing those principles. Um, I also loved how you broke things down. I love Florida drop, learned that from you. Um, just the, the two on two closeout drill, high energy drill. I don't even remember what we called it, but two lines up top, 
um, you know, coaches on the wing, just a basic, basic drill. I loved how you broke those things down, um, you know, and, and I took those. And, you know, my associate head coach now, Antoine White, um, he kind of has taken those even further. And we've become, you know, a much better defensive team this year. But I definitely learned a lot, you know, on that side of the ball. Another thing I took for you was from picking up full court. You know, that's something that um, I had not done. And, and I saw, you know, the value that it had of wearing, you know, other point guards down. And um, that's another thing when you talk about conditioning, you got to be committed to that because it takes heart and it takes conditioning to get that done. But um, I think there's, there's a lot of value in that. Well, you get the opportunity uh, to go to Mount St. Mary's. Um, you have, and correct me if I'm wrong here, going into it, uh, you didn't have a lot of connections, at least in that state. Am I correct? Yeah, no, correct. I almost didn't get the job because of that reason. Exactly. But, you know, it was one of those things, the job comes up. I remember we talked about it and, uh, you know, when you were given the opportunity, you went to campus and, and you blew them away, uh, when you got the opportunity to go to campus. And, um, you know, I'm curious, uh, I know I was fired up, uh, you know, obviously I was bummed that you left, but I was fired up for you to get that opportunity and talk about when you got there, um, you know, you, you got to Walsh and now you're going to Mount St. Mary's, you're going to be back in the head coaching role again, the excitement uh, of getting the job, the nerves of, okay, now I've got to establish these new connections, uh, in a new area. And then also at the same time, implement your system and kind of try to get the ball going in the right direction. Walk us through that process and the emotions. Well, and, and I know it's been a while for, for you since you've had a new job, but it's, it's so overwhelming. You know, the first six months are such a whirlwind. Um, you know, I was very worried about making those connections. And, and I knew that when I started to hire my staff, I needed somebody from this area to have, you know, what they call the DMV connections. Um, but what I found pretty quickly was a lot of those connections that I had made at Walsh, which was in Northeast Ohio, um, you know, having those Western Pennsylvania connections have come in pretty clutch because it's only about two to three hours from us. Uh, being from the Midwest, we think of Maryland as like way East Coast because we just we're not familiar with it. But it's really not. It's more of the mid-Atlantic. Um, you know, it's it's not East Coast. It's not as far as you'd think from a lot of mid Midwest destinations. But, you know, I think, you know, those first six months getting your staff hired and feeling comfortable about that is probably the most o overwhelming um, piece um, and once I had that set, I, I felt really good about it. And then three weeks later, one of those people I had chosen decided to move on. And I didn't blame her. She was moving on with a coach that she had previously worked with. And she, you know, it's worked out extremely well for her. But then having to head into that recruiting season, and now I've just lost my recruiting coordinator. Um, so it was, it, was, it was a crazy time. Um, and like I said, the, the word overwhelming can't describe it any better because there's just so many things that you want to get going and get rolling. Um, and you want to continue to to build those relationships with the kids that you've just met. Um, you want to build rapport with the people you're working with. Um, it, it's a lot, but it's also a very exciting time. Um, you understand that you're kind of in your honeymoon year, so you have a, a little bit of uh, leeway when it comes to the court. Um, but yeah, no, taking over a program is extremely stressful, but very exciting at the same time. It doesn't matter where you go, East Coast, West Coast, North, South, um, you know, recruiting's recruiting connections and relationships are, are, um, you know, a, a must, but what, what, what are the things you you know, your recruiting philosophy, what are the things that you look for? What are the things that are most important to you as you're trying to identify players, uh, to come to the mount? 
I think that that has evolved for me very much. So over the last 10 years that I've been in coaching, um, you know, I've always been big on skill. You know, there's a lot of coaches recruit athleticism or skill. Obviously we all want both in the same package, but I've always leaned towards skill. Um, and more recently I, I've, I've started evaluating motors. Um, do they have a good motor? Um, do they do the little things? We've started evaluating more than ever. Um, if they get excited for their teammates, um, are they selfish? Um, obviously we, we want them to be skilled and, and you know me, I'm probably not going to recruit a kid that can't shoot it. Um, unless it's just, you know, extremely good athlete or they fill a huge role or void that we need on our team. Um, but that definitely has evolved. It's become something that we actually talk about with recruits. Now, do you feel like you are this type of person? Um, you know, and then the last thing that we have really focused on, um, which I kind of, you know, took a little bit of this from you because you talked about this a lot, but the last thing that we focused on a lot more recently was, do they love the game? You know, did, did, do they watch the game? You know, at college basketball, there's so much that goes into being a college basketball player that if you don't love it, it becomes miserable. It becomes a job. Um, it becomes something that you, you, you almost miss because you're like, well, this isn't how it was in high school or AU. So we've really started asking that question. Do you feel like you love it? Do you feel like you know, the track workouts that suck, do you still enjoy grinding through those? Um, and if the answer is no, then it might not be a good fit for us. And um, those are tough conversations to have with recruits because obviously you don't want to make them feel uncomfortable. But at the same time, uh, you got to keep the integrity of your program first and, and try and make sure you're getting the right type of kid. Great lead in is the right type of kid. Um, and yeah. you said it, uh, you know, I, I think I see a lot of programs, uh, classic, uh, you know, social media recruiting is what I call it is they watch a good program, offer a scholarship to a kid and they say, Oh crap, we need to offer that kid too. And so they, they, they're not confident, um, you know, in their own philosophy, uh, and they really recruit based on others. And, uh, you know, we've really tried to emphasize, like, it doesn't matter to us what the rankings, you know, if you have no offers. Um, but one of the things that I've, I think that as I've gotten uh, more experience, I wouldn't say older, more experience is we're really blunt. Um, you know, we talk a lot about being team focused, team oriented. And I tell them like, if you're about you and your individuals, like, you know, don't come here. Uh, you mentioned the passion for the game of basketball. Uh, you know, we talk a lot about coming in and spending extra time. You know, everybody's got 47 different trainers that they pay to and go to twice a week. But are you going to be a player that when you've got class at, you know, you got weights in the morning, class during the day, and then practice, are you still going to want to get extra shots up? And, uh, you know, feeling like if you can get those type of kids, um, you know, you're maybe going to get more out of them than just necessarily the you know, raw, you know, raw talent. Have you made, I know I made this mistake over my career at different times. You use the word motor and I think it's a good one, but um, knowing what's important to you and what you emphasize and then seeing a kid and being enamored by some, you know, maybe a trait that they have, but thinking like I can change this aspect of them. Uh, you know, I think that maybe I can get them to play hard. I know for me, it was like, well, when we get here, we'll get them in a defensive stance. And then they got there and, you know, uh, it never happened. And I blame me because again, you know, I think I'm going to sprinkle magic fairy dust and that's going to change. And as I've gotten older, obviously I understand like, let's, you know, let's be realistic and honest with ourselves on the front end. That's funny. You said that we, um, it's, it's, I think we've all made that mistake at some point. Um, you know, I made that mistake definitely early on when I was at Urbana and Walsh, but, um, it's something that you gotta really try and focus on. The motor thing is, is the one thing that I don't know if you can change that. 
I don't know if you can change that. And it's something like you said, you know, you'd like to think that, oh, I'm going to get them in college shape. I'm going to get them in preseason workouts and whatnot. And you're going to hope that it's going to get fixed. But but is it, you know, is it truly something that can get better? Um, And that's a tough one. Another thing I'm frustrated, right, frustrated with right now is so many high schools that only play zone. You know, how can I, how can I, determine if this kid is, is going to be able to defend at the college level. And I know that's probably the biggest question mark for every single recruit, but how can I, you know, determine if they're going to be able to keep the ball in front of them or, or even play team defense? You know, not everybody's a great individual one-on-one defender, but, um, you know, how can I make that judgment? You know, please send me full game film. You know, we're getting highlight films left and right in our emails. Well, send me full game film. Then I open it up and it's two, three zone. I'm like, oh my gosh, how am I going to evaluate this kid? But no, I've definitely made that mistake before. Um, you know, you see one or two things, like you said, that you just fall in love with and you think you can fix the rest. And, and sometimes I think you can. I do think there are some kids that just haven't been coached correctly or haven't been pushed. And I, and I think they can make that adjustment. Uh, but sometimes, you know, like you said, uh, recruiting is kind of a crapshoot and you don't know um, if they're going to be able to adjust to the college game or not. I had that conversation the other day about uh, somebody sent me a video and I said, well, it's zone. I, I can't tell. Um, you know, they're standing there like a scarecrow the entire time, you know, with their arms up. And, um, you know, I do think that's especially for us. And, and you know this and it sounds like you do too. Defense is, um, you know, a priority. And uh, if I, it leads me to another question is I, I think personally, one of the hardest adjustments uh, is not the offensive side of the ball as a freshman in college. It's the defensive side and all the concepts and thinking through scouting and what have you, what do you see as being the hardest adjustments for freshmen? And, you know, how, how do you, how do you help ease that, you know, ease that adjustment as they, they get from high school to college? Well, I think it's two things. The first thing is so simple, just closing out. I think closeouts um, and lateral stepping on, on that first move is such a, a hard concept for uh, freshmen to, to catch on to. And it's something that because of that, we do every single day. We do some form of closeouts every single day. Even if we're just doing conditioning and agilities, there's going to be some form of closeouts, um, you know, and lateral movement and those workouts. And I think the second thing, which you touched on, is just being able to make adjustments with, with scout schemes, with game plans, um, understanding that you might not just have one, one ball screen coverage. You might have a couple different ones. And it might be dependent on the player that you're guarding and having that ability to focus in on, okay, I'm guarding this player, so we're in this coverage, or, um, you know, whatever your schemes are. I think those two things, you know, the first one is so simple, just a simple closeout. Freshmen struggle with it so much. And then the second thing, just being able to play freely, play intensely, but also remember, oh, okay, I'm in college now, so now we're icing this ball screen, and I got to get high side instead of low side. And, um, you know, those kind of things are just difficult, which is why we end up spending most of our summer working on stuff like that. I see a lot of kids, it seems like quicksand, um, you know, the first couple of weeks is the harder they try and they're pedaling their legs, the quicker they sink. And um, I, I think one of the issues that freshmen struggle with is the comparison game. Uh, I always joke that I wish every year I could film the entire week for freshmen and then show it to the next class. Um, because I think every year there's this sense of like, am I the only freshman to ever go through this? And the reality is, you know, everybody does and they get there and they're watching kids that have spent now either a year, two or three years developing the habits that we've taught them. And now if you're a junior and senior, it's probably, you know, like clockwork. And if you're a freshman, you know, you're, you're probably trying to learn the concept, but also 
you know, still be able to do the concept in real time. And uh, I, I see that comparison uh, and, and, you know, not being able to put it in perspective as uh, is, is in a way that, you know, I find them getting overwhelmed sometimes as freshmen with, with that, you know, with seeing that comparison. Yeah, we feel like we have sort of a freshman wall. When they first get there, it's overwhelming, but they, they start picking up on things and they start to, to get a little confidence like, oh man, I'm starting to get this. Um, you know, I, I can do this. And we get three to four weeks into to the summer. And then we start throwing, you know, those are just our basic principles. We just, those are just our basic principles and they're starting to grasp them. And then we start working on, okay, well, we're going to play this team today or here's our scout. And you, and you tweak that a little bit. And then at the same time, they're also trying to remember the playbook that they has started to get put in. And it's like, that's when they hit the wall. They thought they were gaining some confidence. It was overwhelming. You know, they got over it. They stayed positive. They pushed through. And then we just keep throwing stuff at them. And eventually it just becomes so overwhelming that they, it seems like they're going backwards instead of forwards almost sometimes. So yeah, we definitely experienced that. We try and spend extra time with, with our freshmen um, watching film one-on-one stuff, but it's inevitable. Like you said, it, you said the comparison game. The other thing that I love is, you know, some of these kids came from good high schools and, and good coaches, but their schemes might be the exact opposite of what you're doing. And so now it's like, well, that's not how we did it in high school. Mm-hmm. Coach Antoine's favorite thing was you're not in high school anymore. <laughs> so go ahead and forget all that. So um, yeah, there's, there's a lot of bumps uh, freshman year and, Again, another one of the challenges is working our freshmen through that, that first year and making sure they stay positive and confident in themselves. Yeah, if there's anything I could encourage the high school kid today, it would be to not get away from fundamentals. Um, you know, a lot of these guys have trained. There's a lot of great trainers out there. But, um, you know, kids, when they walk in the gym, they do two things. You know, they, they want to shoot, you know, threes because of Steph Curry and they're shooting, you know, uh, NBA shots. And, you know, there's not a progression typically. And then the other part is, um, you know, I, I see on the social media, the uh, dribble the ball, hit a tennis ball, punch a beanbag, uh, <laughs> flip it, like whatever, and then shoot a layup. And I remember, and I don't know if this was your year. Uh, I don't think it was, I think it was the year before you got there. We had several freshmen, we lined them up and we were doing a kind of a heel toe bounce pass, chest pass, you know, different things. And you'd have thought we were teaching the electric slide and uh, you know, just that basic like fundamentals. And, and you know, the reality is I had somebody ask me the other day of what's going to help them the most. It's like basic stuff, not fancy stuff, basic stuff, because if they have the basic stuff, all those concepts that you mentioned, which will be different than they've experienced guarding ball screens multiple ways, making different rotations. But if they have that base, you know, set, then they're able to start picking up on some of those things. And I think sometimes, you know, freshmen, when you have to go back and really reteach some of the fundamentals, you know, the basics. And I know when you were here, we did a drill called pacer jump stop where we dribble in and we just jump stop and kick to the wing. And if you just walked in the gym, you'd be like, was that a college team doing that? But the reality is like, we do it almost every single day because of how important that is. Yeah, it's ironic you mentioned that. I've had a couple of different freshmen that are, you know, 2020s that are coming in and they're like reached out recently, coach, what can I work on? Um, you know, that's going to help me get better. And, and it's such a difficult question uh, to answer because you don't know which parts of their games are going to translate easily to the college games and which parts aren't. But the one thing I can tell them all is just work on your fundamentals and work on doing them at, at the fastest pace you can do them under control because speed, pace, physicality, everything is, you know, three, four steps, steps up when you get to the college game. 
Um, you know, you mentioned jump stops. I remember reading something where um, Villanova, Jay Wright mentioned that, you know, the key to him winning a championship was jump stopping. That his kids were always under control. They didn't turn the ball over a lot. And that was something that we also put a huge emphasis on the last couple of years, especially with a lot of our dribble drive actions. So many kids want to make that pass on the run while they're trying to look away, making it a no look. But if they just jump stop, you know, that pass isn't always going to be there. You're going to have to look at options B, C, and D. And, um, you know, that's helped us tremendously. And it's something that, like you said, you'd think a jump stop is a simple thing that every college kid knows how to do. That is incorrect. I mean, that is something that you literally have to teach, break down and work on on a pretty regular basis. Yeah. The habits of it, I think are, are, you know, daily getting it to be repetition as you mentioned, it's huge. I want to uh, flip gears a little bit and ask you this, because I think it's so important. Uh, I want to talk about mental health. Uh, I want to talk about, you know, it's, it's finally, I think, in, in both professional and college sports, uh, you know, a light's being shined uh, on mental health and how it can impact the student athlete. And, uh, you know, talk about um, it's, you know, the impact, uh, the way that, you know, your program approaches, you know, supporting um, you know, that aspect of it, because we talk so much, you know, you hear about, okay, the X's nose in basketball and we're going to do strength and conditioning. But the reality is there's so much involved in the mental side of it um, and balancing life, basketball, the things outside of it um, and, and meshing all that together. And, um, you know, as that, that conversations become, uh, you know, something that's been brought to the forefront, you know, how do you guys as a staff um, handle that? And, and what are your thoughts? Yeah, it definitely has, has been brought to the forefront. We talked about this again last night on our um, alumni Zoom, and, and it's become, I think, even more prominent with this whole pandemic because, um, you know, the mental side of, of being your season being over, or maybe your career being over, or maybe, you know, whatever it may be, we've talked about it a lot. And I think one of the questions I had was, how, how have you created a competitive advantage for your team during this pandemic? And, um, you know, I think he expected something that was physical or, you know, uh, something that had to do with X's and O's or basketballs. And, and it, at the end of the day, it was more about, you know, focusing on their mental health right now. Are they okay? You know, how are they handling being at home? Not every kid goes home to a good situation. Um, and and I, over the last couple of years, I've done things uh, regarding mental health that I would have never envisioned doing probably eight, nine, 10 years ago. Um, you know, I've allowed kids to, um, decide if they needed to take a, a week away from basketball in the middle of the season. Um, you know, obviously there's been multiple times where I've had a kid in my office and I'm on the phone with our team, uh, or our school psychologists and, um, school counselors. And, um, it's such a huge thing, uh, probably ha always has been, I think now it's just in the forefront, but, um, it's something that we're all a little bit more cognizant of. And, um, you know, as a coaching staff, you know, we, we started meeting, um, weekly with not just, you know, our media staff, but with our athletic trainer and our strength and conditioning guys. And we started having these weekly meetings, you know, basically for that reason. So that we could stay on top of every kid and how they're doing it. You know, do you notice this kid has been down? Do you notice this kid? Is there anything that you know was going on with this kid? So we could be a little bit more in tune with that aspect. Obviously, you, you we've all heard of the crazy, sad stories at other schools, and, and we don't want that to happen on our watch. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, the mental health of these kids is the most important thing. So, as a staff, we, you know, we really have focused on it the last couple of years. We put up a sign in our locker room that says it's okay to not be okay. And I actually got that from a pastor in Texas named Matt Chandler that I listened to. And, you know, the, the thing that we've talked about is that um, we all have, 
areas and, and myself included that struggles, uh, obstacles, things outside of basketball, uh, junk uh, in our lives. And the reality though is we, we live in an area, in an era now with the social media where uh, we look at each other's lives through Instagram and Twitter and the different things. And we see these people that we think have everything together. Everything's perfect. Their life is, you know, uh, just one happy go lucky and it's not. And, and the thing is we are all in the same boat. And, uh, you know, I think it's, it's, it's something that we talk a lot about, you know, the last several years, uh, of, of understanding that, you know, it is okay to not be okay. And then finding ways to, um, you know, get the encouragement, uh, uh, help, you know, need it. And obviously as coaches, we provide as much as we can, but there are some things that obviously are beyond our, our scope and, 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 you know, what I'm qualified to do and getting them involved with uh, a mental health counselor um, and, and using the resources on campus uh, where they can be better pointed in the right direction. And as you mentioned, I thought, you know, giving them time off during practice um, if they need that. Um, the other thing that I see is, uh, you know, these kids that grew up in, in, you know, another environment for 18 years, uh, some with two parent families, some with one, uh, some with uh, coming from very uh, poor economic situations, some with very rich economic situations, all these kids coming from different backgrounds, but 18 years of that. And then they come into an environment where, um, you know, they've got to go to school. Uh, they're balancing their basketball. They're balancing being away from home. They're balancing the competitiveness. And it, I think it brings up some, you know, whatever was lying in wait brings up to the forefront now uh, when you're making all those choices on your own as a, as a young you know, freshman through, you know, sophomore and junior year. And, uh, you know, I think creating an area where it's, it's a safe spot to be able to talk about those things and making sure they're supported. Uh, I, I think it's probably one of the most important things that we do now. Yeah, for sure. I, I think you hit on it a little bit with the social media, you know, comparison is a thief of joy and, and so much of, um, you know, even going back to, you know, we were talking about the team aspect of the kids getting recognition and, you know, some kids not, but um, social media makes it even more difficult. Um, you know, one of the books I read in this pandemic was all about the IY generation and how they're, um, you know, emotionally not nearly as developed as, you know, 18 and 19 year olds used to be developed, you know, everything, all their communication is, you know, via the, you know, the thing in front of them, the screen. And so, um, you know, creating uh, ways for them to feel comfortable to communicate when they don't know how to communicate because they've never had to is a challenge, but it's something that, you know, I think, you know, our kids have an advantage being, um, you know, on an, a college athletic team where they have coaches that understand that aspect. They have coaches who are being informed. Um, you know, we go to these um, seminars and we learn about this stuff. And um, sometimes we have a little bit more background and information on this stuff than maybe just their professor, their professors or even their parents. You know, one of the things I've dealt with in the last couple of years is kids that are clearly going through, you know, whatever it is, they're clearly in, you know, a, a mental state that is not beneficial for their health, but they come into my office, they finally open up and they say, well, my parents don't believe um, in depression or my parents don't believe in having anxiety issues. So they won't allow me to use our insurance to get help. So, um, you know, there's so many challenges as a coach. Um, and, and, you know, like you said, this is one of the, the things that's at the forefront right now. And it's so important. I've been uh, really proud of our institution. Uh, um, 
the uh, RSWA and associate athletic director, Janelle White, has done a really good job with the programming for our student athletes, um, you know, kind of leadership, but it's also just uh, bringing in different speakers and, and things throughout the course of the year uh, to, to help just encourage them. Um, and again, provide, you know, provide resources. Another thing that, that I think is important, just basketball wise, specifically, you know, on the basketball court is uh, really trying to stay focused on the process and uh, not being so caught up in results. And, um, you know, I look back one year, there was a year we were coaching and we were trying to finish, we were trying to get this specific seed and, uh, you know, we were looking at all the different scenarios and I really thought that I did a poor job, you know, leading our team and getting away from the process. And, you know, this past year, I think we won 13 straight games. And uh, my favorite story was we, we clinched the share of the conference championship with like four games left uh, at Wright State. And we walked in and uh, we knew that as coaches. And so I shared it with the team. And I was like, hey, you know, congrats. Like you guys, you know, clinched a share of the conference championship. That's never happened before. And they all looked at each other like, wait, really? Like they did, they did, but because they so, you know, focus on the process. And I, you know, I think sometimes as coaches, you've got to, even, even though we can talk about the process, like you've got to drill that into yourself daily to not get away from that and focus on, you know, on, on, on results. Absolutely. I I think that's something I really struggled with as a young coach, Um, even as um, even when it just pertaining to, you know, practices versus games, you know, as a player, you can't wait for game day. And you forget how important those practice days are and you forget that it's about about the journey. And I think my last couple of years as a coach have become so much more enjoyable because I haven't allowed myself to look ahead. You know, we'll be in the middle of conference season and people are like, who do you play next? And, and I'm like, well, I've, we've got these two this week. After that, I don't know. And um, I think I've become a better coach because of it. But like you said, it is something that you have to fo- focus on. Um, and it is something that you got to try and instill in the kids because it enriches your your experience. If you're focused, and we just watched the uh, obviously we all watched the last dance. That was MJ's biggest aspect. Um, you know, he he was able to stay in the moment, stay in the present moment. Um, and and I think the more that we can instill that into our kids, the better off we're going to be. So this is your finishing of your third year this past year, and you guys made a uh, really nice jump. Uh, ended up, correct me if I'm finishing second in the league. Is that correct? Yeah, yep. finished second in the league. Uh, really felt, you know, you split with the top team, Robert Morris, and you didn't get a complete your conference tournament. Uh, I had the upset over here. I, I, I called the upset that was going to happen. So uh, I had you go into the NCAA tournament this year. But at the very least, you were likely going to go into postseason play of some kind. Talk about what was the difference this year and you guys making such a giant leap. And then maybe a little bit about, um, you know, the end of the season and, and not getting to complete that, you know, that conference tournament. Yeah, I think two things really allowed us to make that leap this year. I think, first of all, a lot of things started to click with individuals on our team. You know, we inherited a group that we really worked with developing those kids. And I think this was the year that it started to click in terms of the pace of the game slowed down for them. And they were able to shoot the ball at a higher percentage. You know, we led the conference in field goal percentage. Um, threes made and and we didn't and we actually shot a, a ton less threes this year than we had last year and that was just because one we were taking the right ones and we we're becoming more efficient um, and then second thing I think that allowed us to make that jump was defensively we were so much better this year we were committed to it our kids have always had a pretty good knack of of picking up on game plans and, and uh, making adjustments in game with in terms of defensive schemes but um, you know on top of that we took it to another level with our energy 
Um, we mixed it up a little bit with some some different presses, uh, but in the half court, we just we were so much more solid. You know, we were just so much more solid. We rebounded the ball better, and I think between the development of of the players offensively, just becoming more efficient, and then our defensive um, schemes, just being able to lock into those and, and fun, being more fundamentally sound on the defensive end, um, allowed us to to really take that leap. And then, um, you know. Like you mentioned, the end of the year was just, you know, it was just terrible. Um, you know, it's game day. You know, in our conference, you, you compete for home court advantage in the tournament, and we had fought so hard for that. It was something that we wanted to bring back to our administration. You know, we have such a supportive administration that at the Mount, um, you know, a big basketball community. When the basketball season is over, it's like a funeral around there. Everyone's depressed. And, um, you know, we're, we're getting ready for the game. And obviously we kind of knew it was inevitable, you know, Big Ten's canceling, SEC's canceled. We're seeing everyone cancel. We knew it was inevitable, but still finding out that news, um, not just that your conference tournament is canceled, but that your season is just over. You know, there's just no closure. Um, you know, we didn't um, have that opportunity to, you know, win or lose. I think, you know, in some aspects, even losing would have been better because at least, uh, well, we got to finish it. We gave it our best shot. Um, you know, so there was a lot of tears that day. Our athletic director played, played basketball at the Mount. Um, you know, she shed some tears, you know, we all did. It was a tough day. Obviously we understood there was bigger, bigger issues in the world at that point. Um, but you know, just, just like I said, there was just no closure. It being over was, was a, a gut punch to the stomach. Uh, but the one positive that we drew from it was, well, two things really, we knew that we weren't in this alone. There was a ton of teams going through the same emotions. Um, obviously, you know, I think of so many, um, Michigan state, you know, cash is, you know, he didn't get his last run. There's just so many that pop into my mind that, you know, it just, it sucks for everyone. But the positive that we drew from it was we don't lose anybody. Um, so almost everyone that's going through this is going to lose a key player, or, you know, even if it's just a role player or a bench player or whatever, almost everyone is going to lose people. And the only senior that we lost didn't play this year. So we return all of our active, active players. And so, we're taking that as a positive saying we get another shot out of it, another shot at it. Very thankful that we do and trying to use that as motivation to get us geared up for this season. Yeah. Similar for us. And that just, the, I think you hit it best. I mean, disappointing not to be able to go on. Uh, this was our first time ever making the NCAA tournament and then didn't get a chance to play, but you know, I heard, I think Scott Van Pelt said it best is like, typically you either finish your game or your season with a loss or a win, you know, not just sitting on your couch, you know, via, um, you know, via Twitter. But uh, I do think it's nice. Uh, we've got a veteran squad coming back. Sounds like you've got everybody back. Um, if I had a really, really young team and, um, you know, had to incorporate a bunch of new players, I'd probably be a lot more nervous, uh, yep. you know, with how this process is going to be in as far as bringing them back. But, you know, I feel really good that we have, you know, a veteran group and obviously you do too. One question I had for you, I think everybody likes to hear different stuff like this is head coaches. Uh, we have our oops moments. And uh, I'm just curious if you got any like really good, embarrassing, uh, you know, head coach moments uh, from, from your career. Yeah, this was at the very beginning. So I took over, um, you know, at Urbana midseason, kind of a crazy situation. The coach was fired uh, right before Christmas. Um, I interviewed right before Christmas and started basically July or January 1st. Um, and our first game was, I think, January 12th, if I'm remembering, remembering correctly. Um, and it was a home game and prepared as well as we could. We got out there and we won my very first game as a college head coach. We go back into the locker room. And it was like a, a Saturday. So I'm thinking, you know, I was hyped about the game. And obviously I had looked at the schedule and 
um, was excited, you know, that we had gotten our first win. So I'm giving my post-game talk and I'm like, so proud of you guys. Enjoy your day off tomorrow. You know, have a good day, blah, blah, blah. They all start looking around. They're like, coach, we have a game tomorrow. <laughs> uh, I completely forgot that, you know, we played back-to-back days, Saturday, Sunday. But it was just, you know, obviously a huge moment in my career and was so excited. Those kids at that point were, I think, 2-12. and 12. Um, So they had only won two games up until that point in the season. And, and the, the team that we played that day, they had previously lost to by 40. Um, so they lost by 40 earlier in the season. Then we bounced back and we play them on January 12th and we beat them. And I was so excited. I thought we were going to get killed. Um, you know, pumped up in my post-game speech, proud of them, enjoy your day off. And literally, they weren't clapping or excited or anything. They just started looking around. I'm like, what? And I said, oh, Coach, we have, a, we have a game tomorrow. So I was, yeah, that's definitely my, my probably my biggest oops moment. But thankfully, it was early on in my career. I can blame that on being young and new and all that stuff. Well, I had one this year. Uh, we're getting ready first round of the conference tournament. We're playing Cleveland State. And, uh, you know, we usually list the, the keys on defense, offense. You know, we don't overly complicate it. Usually I have a word or a phrase or something that just kind of wrap things up with. And I've generally thought about it beforehand. I mean, this isn't like it's a 10-minute spiel. Like this is, you know, a minute and a half, maybe. And uh, I got to that last part to send them out on the court. And uh, I got ready to talk. And it's – I'm Will Ferrell from old school. Like I black, <laughs> like I'm, I've, I can't remember what I was going to say. And I think I just finished with like, I have no idea what I was going to say. Like, let's go. And they just laughed so hard. Like ended up being like a really light moment, but I'm telling you, I've never had that where I just like, I functionally couldn't remember what I was going to say. And the, uh, that happens probably two or three times a year for me. Yeah. Well, this one was, I mean, obviously, you know, you, conference tournament time, like you need to be ready to roll. And, <laughs> Yeah, you didn't mention remember. that part. Conference tournament, wow. Conference tournament, yeah, yeah. So, you know, maybe that eased the tensions with me being a knucklehead. But, uh, all right, a couple quick hitters for you, and then we'll get you out of here. Uh, Cubs, Bears, or uh, Cubs, Bears, or Bulls? Cubs. Oh, Cubs. I mean, I, I grew up a Bulls fan, uh, but after going to Butler, I kind of became a little bit of a Pacer fan. Obviously, um, in my earlier years, MJ was still with the Bulls. Right now, definitely Cubs. Cubs. I know you're a big uh, Joe Madden fan. Were you sad he left? Yeah, I was. I mean, I think it was time. I mean, I'm still going to be a Joe Madden fan. I just love that, you know, he tries to think of new and creative ways to keep things interesting with his guys. Um, you know, I think a lot of us hardcore Cubs fans were sad to see him go, but at the same time understood the state of where the organization was and obviously wish him the best as he moves on. Best book you read over the quarantine? Well, I've only read the one. I've read a lot more articles. I mean, I, I really did enjoy the IY generation. You know, you talk about, you know, strengths and weaknesses, and I've always felt that connecting with the kids was one of my strengths. And I read an article um, sometime over the course of the season on, on a long bus ride about um, somebody that really, you know, everyone talks about working on your, your weaknesses. Um, and somebody, the whole article was about, you know, you need to work on your strengths just as much because then, they, you know, they got to remain your strengths. Um, so I was very curious to, to get into this book and, you know, see what it had to say. And it, um, it's got a lot of negative stuff in it, obviously, about this generation. But the whole purpose of it was um, to focus on how you can better this generation, how can you and how you can connect with them better and how they learn and how um, it talks about how they learn with a different side of the brain that we probably learned with growing up and um, how you can connect with them and how, how you can teach them. And, and, and while it wasn't the most you know, fun book to read, it, it was very enlightening and I, I took a lot from it. Best streaming show you've watched? Oh, man. I've watched get one, so get many. One, get one. You don't get 20. Get one. Uh, uh, you, 
people are going to make fun of me about this, but Longmire. Okay. I've heard good things about that. All right. So was that a Seth pick? Uh, no, it was actually me. Uh, I picked that one. He, he likes more, probably more exciting up-tempo shows than, than that one. That one's pretty laid back, but um, I just kind of fell in love with the characters and kind of the, the whole idea of how, how that sheriff slash Native American stuff works out West. So it, it was cool. I liked it a lot. Um, glass half empty or glass half full? All right. You know the answer to this. <laughs> first of all, you're the one that said my glass has a hole in it. And my first year here at Mount St. Mary's, um, one of our big supporters across campus, um, he actually was the second year and we had started to turn things around. We had a really good non-conference, um, you know, non-conference season and we're heading into Christmas break. And he had wrapped up this specialty tape that, you know, you can put over water as it's coming out. Like you see it on those infomercials, your, your boat has a leak in it, put this piece of tape. So he had wrapped it up as a joke, as a gift for me. And then we ended up losing that game going into Christmas break. It was a game we were supposed to win. We had had our best non-conference slate in, in over, I think since 1999, they said, so it was going to be a big joke. He had left it on my desk and then we ended up losing that game. He had to ask the custodian to get into my office to take it off my desk because he didn't think I would think it was that funny since we had just lost the game. But I've gotten better about it. But yeah, my glass is definitely a little bit empty and might have a leak in it. <laughs> so when you work for me, I'm coming off of, of Alex Mislin, who worked for me. And I thought one of the, the best things that she did was, you know, as a head coach, I feel like you're always looking at things from a critical eye. And, and she was always one to kind of pump up the situation. And uh, I remember early on, again, working together, you said you got there in September. We didn't have, you know, a summer. We didn't have work. Like we're jumping right into it. And I remember like one of the early scouts, like we're playing a team on the schedule that should have been like a guaranteed win, likely a, you know, 30 point, we're going to play everybody. And you're presenting a scout. And I'm like, are we playing UConn? Like, I'm scared to death. I had to ask, uh, you know, Latrell. I was like, are we, did we schedule? Like, did, I need to go back. So I Googled, I had to go back and Google the team's schedule from the previous year and look at the roster to see, you know. I knew this story was going to come up. <laughs> yeah, so I, 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 I love that. I, you know, that made me laugh. But, but at the same time, do talk about this though. As a head coach, um, being, looking at it from a critical eye, how important for you is, you know, with your staff, you've got a great staff that sometimes during the season as a head coach, it can get lonely at times. I mean, it can be hard and to have a staff member, you know, kind of, Hey, we're okay. We're on the right track. You know, we need to stick with what we're doing to me. That's really, you know, really important. And, and I mean, how do you think the same thing? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I'm going to backtrack a little bit. Bobby Knight's book, Power of Negative Thinking. Um, you know, I feel like I connect with that a lot because I, when I watch film and I scout the game, I look at all the ways we can lose instead of all the ways we can win. So it, it has helped prepare me. But no, definitely, I think you hit that on the head. It does get very lonely at times. Um, and, and, you know, for me, that, that person on my staff has been Coach Geiger. She's such a positive person. You know, we'll lose a couple games in a row. And, and she'll come in and say, listen, we're fine we're fine. Like we lost these two games, but we lost them because this, this, and that, like our, our schemes, our, our principles aren't wrong. Uh, we had a, a couple bad days. And I think, you know, when you're, when you're creating a staff, one thing that you have to figure out is that you don't have a bunch of people that are just going to agree with you. Because if that's the case, when you're having those negative moments, everyone's going to be negative because they're just going to agree with you. Um, so you do have to have a couple people on your staff that are willing to step up and say, Hey, listen, you know, I know, you know, you're bummed, but like, we're going to be fine. Or, maybe you're overreacting a little bit to this game you know it's just one game and um you know I, I've gotten a lot better with that you know 
we played uh, Lehigh early on in the year this year, and they were picked to win the Patriot League, and we dominated the entire game. You know, not not a huge lead, but we were leading. You know, eight to ten points the entire game, um, and just huge debacle at the end. We end up losing the game at the buzzer. Just a crazy, crazy you know sequence of events that allowed them to um, to beat us on our home court last year. And that was one of those things that, you know, if you let it affect you, it can become a snowball effect into the next game and the next game. And, and I really tried to focus on not letting that happen and, and realizing that, you know, we ended up losing the game at the buzzer, but we led the entire game against the Patriot League favorite. And so we tried to take that as a positive. Um, obviously use the loss as motivation, but um, that's something that, you know, I, I've really tried to get better at as the years have gone on. Have you picked up any new skills during this quarantine? Anything that uh, we should be aware of? No, I, I've tried to sharpen up on my Italian a little bit. I've lost a lot of it, so I've, I've tried to get back to that. I've, I've tried to talk to my aunt a lot more <clears throat> over in Italy, um, so that's helped. Uh, you know, my husband and I, we talked about that. He was saying he wished he would have, um, you know, tried to teach himself guitar over the last 10 weeks. But, um, you know, other than just working out a lot more than, than usual and, and sharpening my Italian, reading more than I usually would, um, you know, I haven't picked up anything new and exciting. I'm a professional dog groomer. If you're not aware now, um, I YouTube how to do it. I Amazoned the, uh, the correct, uh, uh, things to be able to, to give my dog Cody, the Corgi and, uh, feel pretty good about it. So if my coaching thing doesn't work out, I may, <laughs> I've, had, I've had several that want to drip, drop their dogs off at my house. Last question for you. Um, if you didn't coach, if you weren't coaching, what would you do? Oh, that's a tough one. I, I, I think I would be somewhere in the, in the graphic design, marketing, advertising. I, I worked in that a little bit before I got into coaching. I really, really enjoy it. Um, it just, it's kind of a competitive, um, you know, job, you know, it's very cutthroat. If you're not good enough, you don't get, you know, you don't get that, that account or you don't, or you lose your job and um, there's creativity to it. Um, there's, like I said, there's competitiveness to it. Um, other than that, I, you know, I do think maybe administration someday, um, I, I, this coaching thing, it can be a little stressful at times and I don't know that I'll be able to do it well into my fifties or sixties. So eventually you might make that transition into the administrative side of things. I really enjoy being on a college campus. So I think, um, you know, whatever it is that I will try and find, um, you know, my niche on a college campus somewhere. Cause I think being around, you know, 18 to 22 year old kids is so uplifting. It's so uh, keeps you young and um, it's just good atmosphere to be around. Well, coach, I appreciate you joining us. Uh, appreciate your friendship and uh, excited about, you know, future. I think you're a tremendous coach and it sounds like, you know, you guys got a lot back next year and if we can get this thing going uh, and, and hopefully, you know, have a fall and have a season, uh, people need to be on the lookout for the Mount uh, and what you guys are doing. So thanks again for joining us. Hey, thanks, AP. You do an awesome job with these. I appreciate you having me on. Thank you.